Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona Kay, and I was married for 30 years, in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. And I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And my hope is that the information shared in this podcast will help you understand the strengths, differences, and challenges in your neurodiverse relationship as you move forward in life. Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I am so excited to be having another conversation with my co-host, Greg Fuqua. And today we're going to talk about the couple dynamic when one partner is autistic and the other partner is ADHD, which was the situation in my marriage and is the situation in Greg's marriage. So Greg, welcome back. And I'd love if you would tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here again. I think this is going to be a really cool topic that I don't think has been touched on much, but a little bit about me. Um, So I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Iowa. I'm a level two neurodiverse couples trained um, therapist. I'm an autism clinical specialist. Um, I have also, yeah, been in a neurodiverse relationship and I did the math this time uh, (laughs) for 33 years. And um, I do identify as being on the spectrum. Um, Glad to be here again, for sure. Yeah. It's going to be another awesome discussion. And I just want to tell the listeners, if you're new to the podcast, you may not know that I did not know that I was ADHD while I was married. And I just recently figured it out like a few years ago. So um, it presented a lot of challenging dynamics in my marriage that I didn't understand. So Greg, because you're currently married and you probably experience various differences and challenges on a more regular basis than I am because I've been divorced for almost six years. I'd love if you would start by sharing, you know, some of the challenges and even some of the good stuff. We'll talk about both today. Yeah. You know, this um, pairing, the ADHD and autism pairing is so common. It's shocking to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And being a neurodiverse couples therapist, often when a couple comes in and, and obviously one is usually on the spectrum, I often turn to the other and say, and are you ADHD? <laughs> and the other person 90% of the time is like, yeah, or I might be, or yeah, I think I am. Yeah, I probably am. And so there's something about this dynamic that um, has some type of gravity and some complementary aspects to it. Otherwise, we wouldn't see it so often. And again, I haven't seen anybody talk about this dynamic and partially because I think it's complicated. Um, But I think there there is obviously a lot of good in it um, because for whatever reason, we're attracted to each other, you know? And so I think part of what today should be is exploring Right. The bad, the good, the otherwise, and um, talking about some of our experiences around um, how that presents and and then, you know, how to how to work with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So 
curious if you have any theories on <laughs> why is that dynamic happen so often? And even you, you know, obviously your ex was on the spectrum and you've also dated some other spectrum guys too, you know, yes. um, do you have any thoughts on why? <laughs> why do, do I have any thoughts on why? Is that what you asked? Yeah. What, why this dynamic? Oh, I have lots of thoughts, Greg. So um, I'll start with my thoughts and then I want to hear your thoughts. So I do believe that we're looking for somebody oftentimes that I hate to use this word, but I'm just going to say it completes us that, that, that brings like things into our life that we may consciously know we don't have, or, you Mm -hmm. know, unconsciously or subconsciously feel we want in our lives, Mm -hmm. but we don't have. And so for me, um, I know that my ex was attracted to me because of my vibrance and my energy yep. and my ability to talk to anybody and get them <laughs> engaged, um, my desire to want to travel, my passion for my work as a social worker, mm-hmm. my um, goal-oriented way of functioning, and just all that energy that I literally had on a daily basis, you know, Greg, and then it also drove him crazy. (laughs) That's yeah. Right. That popped into my head right away. Right. Appreciate it. And also drove them crazy. So that's, that's the crazy thing about this dynamic. Um, And I think you've hit on sort of a big theme that I also see. And I sort of describe it as the ADHD or often has an externalized orientation or energy mm-hmm. and the usually the, the spectrum person has an internalized energy right and so i think a lot of the dynamic ends up well like you said like a lot of times for me my wife is a bridge and mm-hmm. she's a bridge for me socially um, she's a bridge that sort of pulls me out of myself at times which i need and hate at the same <laughs> time yes um and, and that also, right, creates problems. But I think there's enough differences with the ADHD autism dynamic, but also enough overlap and, and complements. And I think, and I think we can both see that both of these are forms of neurodiversity. So there's enough like shared understanding, even though stylistically it might look a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you guys aren't, we aren't so far apart that um, it's all bad. Right. Right. Yeah. And so one of the one of the things that this creates in terms of problems is um, obviously, and I think I've kind of mentioned this before, where that externalized energy tends to be a more anxious energy, tends to be a more what I call pursuer, you know, wanting that connection, um, checking in with your partner and for the autistic partner, their defaults tend to be a little bit more avoidant. So you get this anxious avoidant dynamic or pursuer avoidant dynamic that creates problems, but obviously um, there's benefits there too. And so I think a big part of the solutions in, in this dynamic that are fraught with both problems and also complementary aspects is timing. And yeah. timing is the key in terms of finding those moments to connect. Mm -hmm. And so I see 
this is like the, so I'm a super visual thinker. Obviously I was an artist for a long time, but I see, I see things in models. So what I see is like the autistic person, like standing next to like a merry-go-round and, and on the merry-go-round is the ADHD person. And every so often the ADHD person and the autistic person are lined up. Mm -hmm. Right. And when and when that happens and when that happens in the right timing and in the right ways, that actually works because mm -hmm. as, as the ADHD person goes away, that gives that creates space for the autistic person. And then they're able to meet a lot of times with some maybe some mutual interest or the right timing that really um, often creates more connection. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And when I uh, realized that I was ADHD, I really kind of went back and looked at my 30-year marriage through that lens mm -hmm. and yep. through our different neurotype lenses, right? Yep. And it, it, it began to make so much sense because at the beginning of our relationship, um, I think I was attracted to my ex-husband because he had, like you, he had creative talents. He wrote songs. He was a musician. Mm -hmm. um, he did tarot cards. He was very spiritual. These things that I had absolutely no skill and ability with, right. he knew in depth. I mean, he knew all the words to the songs of his two favorite bands. He knew all about the, you know, the singers and the band members' lives. He had this in-depth knowledge that I didn't have really about anything. You know, I was more of a, a generalist, you yep. know, yep. I, I loved a lot of different things. And when I was bored, I moved on to the next shiny item. And, you know, he had that in-depth knowledge. The other thing is he was a pretty quiet and what looked to me on the outside patient person. Right. And I was neither. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so I didn't know about his internalized stuff, you know, that he was going, you know, through things in his head or, you know, that his body was, um, you know, dysregulated. And I'm not sure, you know, that he always knew. Right. But I think for me, I was so attracted to those things that he had as part of his personality and way of functioning because... I think in a way, I, I not only wanted those in a partner, but I wanted to learn how to do those things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever mastered it in our marriage, but <laughs> I have grown so much since our divorce. And it has really helped me in the relationships that I've been in with other autistic or autistic ADHD men. Mm -hmm. And um, I understand them in ways I didn't. And if there, it's funny because the ADHD in the autistic ADHD partner, um, there can be clashes in that area right? because when neither one of us is um, able to stay with something long or my daughter, it's funny, we've had several conversations when the real ADHD mother comes out, she literally has to stop me, Greg, and she says, mom, one thing at a time <laughs> let's start with this because <laughs> yeah. we've worked on a number of projects together and mm -hmm. i can see now her eyes getting like 
glossed over because I'm overwhelming her. You're just overwhelming her. I'm so glad that she's learned how to communicate her boundaries to me so that I can stop and realize that I'm overwhelming her. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely 100% true. I mean, and it, it goes right to those different ways of focusing and those processing preferences where, you know, the autistic person tends to be more singular, more in depth, more specific, and ADHD mind tends to be a little bit more scattered and jumps around maybe to multiple areas. And again, I think both partners see the advantage in the other person that they don't have, right? Right. And um, it's the same thing for me. Like I knew that there was stuff that I couldn't do that my wife could because of that ability to jump around and focus, you know, um, where I might get stuck a little bit more in a, in a singular thing. And you're right that, right, those patterns complement, but they also can drive you crazy. They can also um, become, you know, overstimulating, overwhelming. And, you know, my wife has told me a similar thing about what she was attracted in me. And she was like, I feel like I can never completely know you, you know, mm. and she's like, you are an onion. There is so much depth. I don't know what you're going to do next, what you're going to say, you know, where it comes from, the depths of you somewhere. And it kind of works for the ADHD mind, which is trying to um, almost like a radar out there trying to connect to things, trying to see things and, and, and staying on your toes and having a lot of stimulus Uh, stimulation is actually a good thing at times. Um, And so that also plays into, I think, the environment at home, you Mm -hmm. know, where, again, I think the externalized energy of the ADHD or to me, I am constantly disturbed by whatever she's doing in her busy way. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, do you have to be making so much noise when I'm in this place here? And, um, and again, it's hard to make those bridges. My wife has really become really aware of it, but in a way that can also repress her freedom to be herself, you know? Mm. And I think that's the thing. That's the one thing. It was like a linchpin that I think changed some of the dynamic in our relationship, because as an autistic person, I value autonomy and independence and having my freedom, having the freedom to wait to do things like I need to do them. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my wife's sort of radar and anxiety and ADHD was always out trying to figure out, right. What, how to make things go well at home, how to make things go well in the dynamic with me. And at one point we were having a talk, we're walking down, we're going downtown, have a date. Mm-hmm. And um, we would do sometimes relationship questions or some big questions, which we do connect well with on that. Um, and um, she said to me, I don't feel like I can be myself with you. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I just start crying Aww. because I knew it was true. Um, and I knew what that would feel like for me because I felt like that before too. I mean, as a fantastic person, you've often not felt like you fit in or, you know, you need to be a certain way. 
and fit in in a certain way. And so that one hit me hard. And that is a, a thing I often deal with and see in this couple's dynamic with my couples too, is the difficulty, the sensitivity to each other that kind of amplifies and then you end up sort of walking on eggshells alone. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've said this on the podcast and I want to share it because it, it totally applies to what we're talking about here. When my ex and I were separated, we actually went to three therapists. We didn't know at the time when we were beginning the therapy that we were a neurodiverse couple and none of them had experience working with neurodiverse couples. And I remember him saying, two things that um, hit hard at the, at the moment, really hard, brought me to tears, but now I totally understand them. Um, he said, when we were first together, I had a bucket of like resources available to manage, you know, whatever emotions you brought to the relationship. Now I barely have a thimble. Mm. And of course that hit hard, but I understand it, you know, because yeah. After 30 years of not knowing your neurotypes and not knowing how to manage your own nervous system, and you know, both of us, it, it got toxic. Mm-hmm. And the other thing he said to um, me and the therapist is he said, you know, being married to Mona is like living in a minefield and you never, <laughs> I know, I can laugh too now, Greg, but believe me, I wasn't laughing when he said it. He said, and you never know what you're going to step on yeah. when. And so, you know, part of that was me not knowing how to self-soothe and and not knowing what my triggers were and my understanding, not understanding my nervous system and what got me dysregulated. But it also was my ADHD, I think, because, you know, my emotion when when I was hurt, I got really emotional and then I could calm down and, you know, the calming down came with, you know, apologies or understanding or whatever. But as you talked about, you know, me being more external and him being more internal, he would oftentimes shut down and not want to talk about it when Mona was emotional. And it was probably a good thing, but I didn't see it as such. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, my brain just kept going around and around and around and around and around. Mm -hmm. And his brain was going around and around and around, but he was shutting down and I was becoming more external. And boy, was that dynamic toxic, toxic. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, this, this is a very, also very typical thing that happens, you know, where obviously ADHD comes with, issues around emotional regulation, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's not as commonly understood as part of the executive functioning um, profile, but it's, it's, it's inhibition, you know, and there's an intensity of motion that often won't work for the autistic person, you know? Um, and so in, and you've talked about this tons on, on your podcast and we've talked about this too, is, you know, you sort of not getting your emotional needs met and, you know, the autistic person kind of shutting down and there being a lot of disconnection and, and also a lot of resentment and regret around that, you know, mm-hmm. I think the ADHD, um, again, predilection is, is for what I call sort of body doubling, which is 
I like to get pulled along with someone else's energy, you know? Yeah. Um, ADHDers like sort of hands-on learning. They, they tend to like more externalized ways of verbalizing and connecting with people. Um, and so th they go to those defaults over and over again, which do not work for the autistic person, you know? And eventually if you keep going to those and you keep ramping them up and going to them harder and harder and harder, right? This is what I need. Yeah. This is where I go. The autistic person actually starts to short circuit and, and shut down. And there becomes also this, it, it can become sort of a, you know, a, a fear, like you said, this minefield of, of danger, because I have someone that's hyperverbal. I'm hypoverbal. I can't keep up with this, right? you know, right. Um, processing wise or verbally. Yeah. And, and the challenge is, you know, if I had known, if we had known we were a neurodiverse couple, what could we have changed? Because, you know, I, you can't go back in time. I have no regrets. I have no regrets about the separation or the divorce. And for me, neurodiverse love, the podcast and all the work I do is about, it's been part of my healing journey, but it's also to share lessons learned and strategies and tools, yeah. right? They can help folks and, and also have helped me in the relationships um, since my divorce. So, you know, knowing even if neither one of you has been diagnosed, even if one of you is not self-identifying, but you can see after, you know, reading the books and listening to podcasts or whatever, you know that you're a mixed neurotype couple and you, you have a feeling that you're an ADHD autistic pair, you know, what are you and your wife doing differently than you did before that is helping you manage this dynamic of, in a lot of ways, very different neurotypes? Yes. Um, yeah. And this go back, this goes back to a requested topic that's coming up for us too, um, which is what do you do when you have an unidentified partner? Right. Right. Um, you know, you can do a lot from your one side, but having identification, even from both sides, you know, I mean, you recognize that your husband was unidentified, you were unidentified, how many problems that created, you need the right lens, knowing why mm -hmm. is so important. It's so important to an autistic person in general to know the why's behind something, you know, um, but, you know, it, it really is powerful in order to not personalize to know what is yours what is not yours to know where you hit well where you don't and that's essentially kind of what we're doing today is sort of outlining that a little bit better um and the strategies can be all over the board but again i'm i go back to this idea of of timing because i think a lot of times there's just sort of inadvertent crashes together yes you know and so one of the things that that we're doing in the background, Mona, with our, you know, our workshop and workbook is really giving a bunch of these skills that will apply to the ADHD and autistic partner dynamic, too. And and one of those is um, really tracking each other's um, mood, um, the context of stress in your life to understand how you react to that and what you need in those circumstances, right? 
And if, again, if you've got that lens and you've got that frame and you're tracking and attuning to each other regularly, you're much less likely to sort of crash into each other and to work on those ways of timing and communicating where you both can meet sort of more on equal footing. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it made me think of a podcast that I listened to with Brene Brown, who I mm-hmm. absolutely love. Yeah. And she said something that her and her husband, I think his name is Steve, do when they check in. It might not be daily, but on a regular basis. And when they either talk to each other or see each other, they may say, you know, I have 25 percent of my battery left yep. for today. Yep. Yeah. So I, that's all I can give. Yep. And the other partner, you know, may say, I only have 25% too, or I'm at 10%. Yes. Um, and they may not have more. Mm-hmm. So when you check in like that, and you know that you both have very little to give each other or your family or, you know, anything that you're required to do, then I think there can be grace and compassion and you can give each other the space and time you need. If you've discussed it ahead of time when we're both low, you know, Mm -hmm. what do we each need to recover? What do we each need to get regulated, whatever. But then, you know, that conversation could turn in, Oh, I'm at 80% today and I'm at 20. Okay. I'll, you know, cook dinner. I'll take care of the kids. You know, I'll do all the other things. But if we don't understand that we can have those conversations in a respectful, kind way, and we're in conflict because we think we should be at different places and have different mindset or different emotional um, experiences, that's where the conflict comes in. And believe me, I had lots of that in 30 Mm -hmm. years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And when when you don't know your neurotype, you don't know why or how or um, what this means. The problem is all those assumptions and the yeah. mind reading. And again, the different processing styles that just don't match up, you know? Um, so you're likely, you're likely to have some yeah, conflict and some high tension. Yeah, absolutely. And where one partner may be a planner, the other one may not be yes. and understanding, you know, how you work through that together. What are the ways that you can each give a little compromise a little, yes. not that one person has to give and compromise all the time. Like, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing what your wife said that she felt like she couldn't be herself with you. Yeah. Right. And how many couples can't or won't or don't verbalize that? I don't think my my ex-husband was himself in our 30-year marriage. And yeah, and I remember, you know, him saying when we were separated and we were dating, and this was, you know, again, I wish we would have known more about our neurotypes at the time. He said something to me that he had lived on his own for the first time in his entire life. And he said to me, I need my freedom. And I need to be able to kind of, you know, plan my day the way I need to plan my day and decide whether or not I'm going to go out or I'm going to, you know, go with friends or go on a date with you or whatever, you know, and how do you feel about that? And now looking back, Greg, I realize that he never realized how much freedom he needed, which another word could be autonomy, you know, right? And because he didn't understand that until we separated and he lived on his own, 
he couldn't see us coming back together again under the same roof and him maintaining that autonomy and freedom. And I think that's a really important topic for um, couples to talk about and especially neurodiverse couples where one is ADHD and the other is autistic or autistic ADHD. What do you think? Absolutely. I, yeah. In fact, we, my, my wife and I were just talking about this, that, um, again, this is where some overlap with us is, is good where she bounces around in terms of her interest, you know, mine go singular and all the way, right. There's yeah. enough understanding about that, that, um, that she's often given me room or understanding when I'm really into something and how much I enjoy that and, and giving me space for that, even, even talking to me about it. I mean, you know, that's like the gift of this podcast for me, Mona. It's like, Hey, can you talk to me about your deep interest on neurodiversity? I'm like, yeah, how much time you got? <laughs> right. Um, she, and she kind of gets that. And then I also support, I really support that in her, even though she may not maintain it or may not look the same as me. We have really helped our each other have a sense of our own independence and needs. And so, you know, this idea of, of having, you know, both connection, but also sort of your own lives and your own independence and your own places that you do things, you know, she's a little bit more social, she has more friends, I have more activities, and we really give each other space for that. Um, and that tends to create a lot of healthy dynamics, because it takes the pressure off each other too a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important for for couples out there that are listening to hear, because I think and we've talked about this, I think an ADHD autistic couple can be the power couple. I really do believe that. Yep, I do too. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It can work. It can really work. Now, it takes more work. Yes. Um, I would say, but that work is really worth doing because as you said at the beginning of the podcast, it, you know, you you can really complete each other and create a very complementary dynamic that makes you guys both better together. And that's what a really good relationship um looks like, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that I failed to do, and I'm always, you know, looking in the mirror, is I failed to attune to my ex-husband. And I have not made that mistake in future relationships. Mm. So what, what do I mean by that, right? Yeah. You know, I did not know that, you know, he needed that hours and hours to work on, you know, his deep interest and not to be interrupted, you know, that that was how he recharged his battery. I wanted him to go out and play with me, you know, I wanted yeah. to go, you know, on a trip, I wanted to whatever. And, and that's not what he needed. And he didn't share that with me. Because, you know, whether he knew that he needed what he needed, or he just didn't want to piss me off, which is probably the latter. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I didn't attune when he didn't want to talk, you know, while we were eating a meal. And I just wanted to blabber on, you know, I was so not attuned in those ways. But, you know, and I've said this before on the podcast, and we're going to do a, an episode on this, where we were attuned was with our sex and physical intimacy. And that's because both of us are one of our love languages was physical touch. Uh -huh. but, but then his love language was acts of service. 
and mine was quality time. Clash, clash, clash. (laughs) You know, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, this goes back to, again, a, a topic we're going to dive into um, this season about the, yeah, not having the lens, not knowing, not being identified, not knowing your neurotype. Um, and I see this a lot of times with um, with unidentified autism in a partner. Um, and obviously, I have, I have a really good nose for this. So a lot of times, some of my my, my clients will be dating or they'll be, um, you know, divorced and looking back to get into that. And, and they're dating people. And I'm like, well, okay, they've, 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 you know, they've got it probably a spectrum person here they're with. And they're like, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And, and <laughs> this is what they're saying in terms of, you know, the, I guess the excuses or the reasons why. And I'm like, listen, those aren't the reasons why. They're having to come up with reasons why, but they don't have the right lens and the right frame. And I'll give you an example of this. And, 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 and a lot of this goes, I think a lot of this goes to unidentified sensitivities. Um, so for instance, um, I hate Walmart, <laughs> you know, mm. and, and so I had to come up with reasons before I, you know, recognized I was on the spectrum and my reasons were, all these social justice and capitalism sort of reasons, you know, right, right. Um, these big corporate ideas I, I couldn't get on. But the truth is, is that I hate it. It's just too overwhelming. It's too big. <laughs> There's too much stuff there. I don't like it. There's too many people, you know, right. crowded, blah, 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 blah. You know, those are the reasons. But I, but I come up with something else that's less vulnerable and maybe more intellectual. And then you're missing each other right? Because you're missing yourself, you know, and how are you going to be vulnerable and bridge and navigate these moments when you really don't know why, right? Mm -hmm. What a great example. And I think, you know, one of the things that I realized in my marriage, and now I see it with um, the men I I am dating who are autistic, excuse me, is that they will intellectualize their emotions. Exactly. Right. And you may have said that before in another podcast. I've heard it somewhere. And and um, I am I initially I was annoyed by that. You know, why can't you just be vulnerable? Why can't you just open yeah. up about what's really going on inside? Because yeah. yes. I am I am all out there. You know, I'm putting it all out on the yeah. table. Right. Yeah. Which was overwhelming, I'm sure, in my marriage. And I've toned that down a lot. Not and I, I want listeners to hear this. I've toned it down because it's important for me to manage my emotions because I don't want to be overwhelming to anybody, but mostly I don't want to be overwhelming to myself because (laughs) when I would let my emotions go nonstop and, you know, we'd get on those either communication roundabouts, which my um, friend and colleague, Bron Wilson, you know, named, or those argument roundabouts. And if anybody's seen a roundabout, you know, you can stand that roundabout forever, round and around and around and around, right? You get dizzy, you get whatever. But um, unless I can manage my emotions, mm-hmm. I am going to suffer as well as the partner that I'm with. So, you know, 
looking at our partners through our own lens is not necessarily the most helpful thing and having more curiosity, trying to understand, you know, or accepting, like if, if my partner had said to me, I can't go to Walmart anymore and, and intellectualized it, I may say, okay, I hear you Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, trying to force them. And, and maybe that's the best they could share with me at this moment. And then when they understand a little bit more about the emotional or sensory overload, yeah. you know, that could come down the pike, but yeah. 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 And, and then you might start arguing intellectually over something that's not even true. It's <laughs> <You know? laughs> so a waste of time and energy. Um, Been there, done yeah. that, have 10 t-shirts for that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so you speak to this idea of ownership, right? When I know, when I, when I figured out I was on the spectrum, I was like, oh, this is why it's hard. And now I can express that to my wife and my wife is on board right away. You know, mm-hmm. so when I'm like, hey, I'm feeling nervous about this event I'm going to, I'm just recognizing I'm getting anxiety coming up. Um, she's getting angry. She gets, like you said, she gets curious. She's like, oh, well, let me know what you need. I'm going to be here for you. And make sure that we do this in a way that feels good for you, you know. So let's keep reassessing as we approach the event and figure out what you need. Just that called me down. Of course. Whoa, I've got somebody on my side. Again, she kind of works as as this bridge. But um, I want to touch on something really quick here, too, that you brought up, which is the emotional vulnerability piece, I think, is a really big area for autistic people to try to grow in because not only do they need to be able to advocate for themselves, they need to be accurate about what's going on. um, But they need to be able to find how to help people meet them where they're at instead of trying to figure it out or trying to read their mind, you know, or, um, you know, trying to do too much assuming. And so this part of it, which I sort of demonstrated in that example was a moment where I was like, okay, something's going on in me. That's mine. I need to figure out what that is. I need to be able to express that to my wife. And then we can navigate that moment together. But if I don't know, she doesn't know, the likelihood of something going wrong is really high. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, I think what's wonderful about this podcast and all the episodes that I've done with people who are a different neurotype than me is that we get to share all the perspectives or both perspectives. And, and when people are listening and they're like, that's exactly what's going on with me, (laughs) or that sounds exactly (laughs) like what we've been experiencing for 20 years, you know, and then you get your partner to listen to the podcast with you. You're not judging them. You're just saying, Oh my gosh, the, the the light bulb just went off in my head. And now I understand now can we work on this together? And I think one of the biggest challenges, and I see this often in the couples group uh, support groups that I run is when one partner is done. And, you know, that's what happened in my marriage. I think we both got to the point where we were just done. We had no more bandwidth for each other. We had no more grace for each other. We still loved each other. And I I say that on the podcast, we we still loved each other. And I'm sure you see this with couples, but we had no more 
to give. Yep. And and when you get to that point, mm-hmm. it, I think one of the most important things to do, this is just Mona's, you know, thoughts, yes. is to really think about what you need in a romantic relationship. And if you've had those things with your partner, can you both, with the help of a third party, because I don't think you can do it alone, work on rebuilding and transforming the strengths that you know you had and the connections you know you had. Mm -hmm. And I think if both partners are willing to work on that with a third party, I think there's hope. I don't know what you think. I, this is really important. I think, you know, and again, it's something I see as a clinician all the time, you know, um, a lot. Of, so I give free consultations and interviews for prospective clients and I get a lot of nerdiverse couples come in. And in five minutes, when I recognize they're a nerdiverse couple and we're talking about their dynamic and I start telling them what they're going through, they're like, what, how do you know what is going on here? you know put us down on your wait list right now um and so it it, and and the one thing i often tell them is this is actually a strong dynamic that you guys have just sort of fallen out of and i went through the exact same thing in my marriage and again michelle and i were just talking about this um and 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 she said almost the exact same thing you did which is i was done and you were done and there was no place for us to go but i knew you still love me mm-hmm. and love's not enough um nope. you've got to work on it you've got to figure it out there's a reason why you guys are together and you can learn and grow from each other and help each other in those areas and a lot of times your partner represents that possibility for you and if you can re-see that and see all the things in your partner that you actually love and appreciate that you don't have. And it's one of the questions I give my couples. One of the initial questions is, is um, um, tell me how you fell in love. Tell me how you saw each other when you first met. And I love like, that. this is the orientation you need to have moving forward. You know, this is what you forgot. Yep. Yep, because of all the differences you see and all the challenges you experienced. And that's what happened in in my marriage. And I know that there are going to be a lot of couples and a lot of individuals that are going to hear this. And even if they don't know their ADHD, they may see a lot of the dynamics that we're talking about today in their relationship, right? Oh, yeah. And I know we're going to talk about so many other amazing topics and we can mention those um, in a few minutes, but I do want to let everybody know that Greg and I are going to be doing a phenomenal workshop on communication in neurodiverse relationships. And we're going to be providing strategies and tools and a lot of information. And I hope that many of you will sign up for this amazing workshop. It's going to be live on March 1st. And um, it's going to be two hours. There's going to be an opportunity for Q&A. But for the first time, I am actually recording a workshop. So this will be recorded. And you will be able to get it even if you cannot join us live. And we're going to have a workbook that goes with this and everybody that registers and it's only $97. So you're going to get Greg and I for two hours for $97, the workbook. And then I am giving as 
three free bonuses. You get the digital version of the Neurodiverse Love Cards, the Neurodiverse Love um, Card Workbook, and you will have access, a lifetime access to all 27 of the presentations from the Neurodiverse Love Conference. So you are getting more than the $97 in the bonuses. So I hope that many of you will sign up for this course, even if, or this workshop, even if you can't attend live. And Greg, we're going to rock it with this one. I mean, it is filled with stuff I wish I had, you know, 30 years ago at the beginning of my marriage or 35 years ago. What do you yeah. think? What, what do you want to share about them? Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think this is a huge gift. I don't know if there's anything like this out there. You know, obviously there's a lot of couple stuff and a lot of relationship, but Nerdiverse, concrete skills, strategies, um, that we're providing all these tools that people will be able to use. There's all the stuff I use and learned with my work with neurodiverse couples and in my relationship. I think this is going to be just a huge um, and wonderful toolbox for neurodiverse couples to have and to refer back to. Um, and I think it's just a wonderful opportunity for people and I hope they can take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. So remember it's going to be recorded. So if you can't attend live, you can get the recording and have access to that for life. And so there'll be a link in the show notes for you to be able to register. And uh, we look forward to seeing some of you there. And I also wanted to share with you that Greg, Greg and I are going to be doing a number of other podcast episodes. And just so that you get excited about all the other topics we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about parenting as a neurodiverse couple, sex and physical intimacy. We're going to talk about alexithymia monotropism, demand avoidance, and we're going to talk about what happens when you're in a relationship where there's unidentified autism or neurodivergence and how you work with your partner when they do not accept that they uh, may be neurodivergent. So, Greg, I think we're at the end, and I'm just wondering if you have anything else you want to share about this really important topic of ADHD and autism and the dynamic of couples who are those mixed neurotypes. Yeah, this is, again, I think a really important topic. I wish there was more people talking, sharing about this particular dynamic because it's so common, shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not something I thought about. It's just something I've ran into, you know, and it, it is crazy. It's an, I think it's a really important dynamic to understand. I think there's a lot of these things that do apply to generally, um, different neurotypes. And, um, and I just hope people really got a lot out of this today and, um, and find it valuable. Yeah, I agree. And as always, I, I put your contact information in the show notes, but do you want to share with folks, since you did mention that you do free consultations, do you want to share with folks where they can contact you and how they can reach, reach you? Yeah, just contact me at my personal email, which is gfuqua, which is first initial last name, 70 at gmail.com. Um, I do run a business called Divergent Coaching and Consulting. Um, I do give prospective people a free hour to talk with me. The relationship's the most important thing. So we've got a match. It's got to feel good. Um, and then, um, and then obviously if you like, you can commit to, to me, we can talk about, um, yeah, how I can help you. 
Awesome. Fantastic. Greg, thank you. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. And if anyone has any other topics that they would like Greg and I to talk about, feel free to email me at neurodiverselove, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. So thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. It's always exciting to talk to you, Greg. And again, I look forward to our next conversation. Same, Mona. Thanks so much.